I'm here with Mark Homer at Progressive Towers and uh, we're going to go for a live Q&A session. So anything at all that you need to ask either myself or Mark about all things property, then fire your questions away. Awesome. Sorry, Mark, back. Yeah. So, Rick, um, what's going to happen in the next few months? Uh, you know, we've, we've got supposedly something big happening at the end of this month. And then what's happening sort of six months, 12 months out? Are we going into recession? And what's going to happen with, with property? And that's a golden question, isn't it? Are we going into recession? I think, you know, if we could answer that, then you and I would be doing a better job in the government than most people we've got at the moment. But we're not going to keep this as a political post. So what do I think? Well, if we, the predictions are, and it depends which article you read, and I think it's um, very subjective. The predictions are at the moment, that if we leave on the 31st of October without a deal, then we're going to see a correction in, in the property market. And that correction is going to be, according to all of the articles that you read, anything from 10% to 30%. Now, the Bank of England think we're going to see a 30% reduction in property prices in the first 12 months and with another correction coming back into the end of 2020, which will bring us back to the beginning of 2019. But if you read articles from Rightmove and Zoopla, they are saying about 15 to 19%. Now, it depends on where you are in the country, because at the moment, if you invest in the north, Properties in the north at the moment are achieving 100% of asking in certain areas of the north, northwest specifically Scotland, folks. If you're in Scotland right now, Scotland market is just taking right off. So we've seen about 7 8% increase so year on year. Playing, ca playing catch up. It's sort of no, I think the because they're not really affected by um, Eastern European as um, the you know, Eastern European issues as much as potentially we are in the South. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, property market around the north at the moment is going really well. So places like Warrington, Chester, Manchester, um, all of those places are achieving maybe a little bit more than asking. So if you own property and you're looking to sell now, it's a great time to sell in the north. In the south, we're seeing a big decrease at the moment. So year on year, London and areas of London are seeing a decrease of about 0.8% at the moment, year on year. Um, you know, what remains to be seen all really depends on what happens on the 31st of October. So, okay, so that's, that's sort of what's likely to happen, you know, if we have a no deal, um, potentially, but no one really knows. But does that mean we just sort of sit on our hands, stop? What do we do? It's what actions do we take? It's a great question. And, you know, when we first started to hear about Brexit, what was it? I don't know, three, three, three and a half years ago, people were saying, right, that's it. I'm not going to do anything because we're too volatile right now. The economy could do anything. Nobody knows. And I was about to buy a deal. And this deal was on the market for 1.3 million. It's a block of flats and negotiated it down to 1.1 using our ninja negotiation skills. And everybody was saying, don't do it. Don't do it because, you know, potentially this could be the end of what you do. And if the market falls flat, you're going to be negative equity from day one. Now, we bought this with traditional means. We just bought it with um, normal lending, 25% loan to value. For 1.1. For 1.1 million. Yeah. So we were in for just under half a million in, yeah. in, in deposits. So we did. We bought it. And despite what everybody else said, we carried on, we developed it, we, we got planning permission, and we had that property revalued about two months ago for 2.2 million. We've got all of our money back out, yeah. and some, and obviously we're still only like 75% loan to value. And I think the moral of the story is, there's always going to be something, Mark. There's always going to be so. something that stops people from investing. There's always going to be somebody that says it's not a right time. 
And again, if we go back to the late 80s, early 90s, when we had Bradford and Bingley and Mortgage Express and the people that were um, all of a sudden, same day refinancing stopped because it was regulated. So for those that are watching, going back to um, the early 90s, some of the large landlords now, they have um, got their portfolios by doing leaflet campaigns and getting what we call then same day refinancing. So they buy the property below market value. They would then go to um, the Mortgage Express, who would buy it off them at market value. So they were getting paid for buying houses. We now, did when, a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Back in the and day. that was the big one. That was you know leaflets and the Not big money down that's cash it, back. Yeah, that absolutely, uh, absolutely cash back mortgages. Yeah. But when that stopped and all of the sale and rent back and all of that yeah. started to become regulated, everyone was saying, it's over. All done. It's done. We're all That's dead. it. The private rental sector yeah. now is over. And I don't yeah. think that's ever going to change. No, no. So what they I do moved. think... Yeah, they moved into they, something else, didn't you've they? You've got to survive. They sort you've got of went to adapt. into service accommodation, lease options, Absolutely. all that sort of thing. You've got to adapt to survive, right? Yeah. And we look at all the big companies and the big players, the ones that haven't adapted... I mean, Kodak, for example, yeah? yeah? They didn't think that the digital market was ever going to do anything. Yeah. And of course, they'd just get wiped just out. ruined Richmond, didn't it, all that? And Absolutely. You know, if they'd gone into, I don't know, digital cameras, well, they suppose they did, but they were, I bought one, they were rubbish, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So that's my thoughts, you know, and I think you can't, you, you can't just focus on the stuff you can't control. No. Because things that, you know, shit's always going to happen, but you've got to be able to adapt to survive. And that's what we do, and that's what we do in any industry, not just property. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, is that a fair assumption? I, I think that people absolutely will ad adapt. And, you know, do I think this is, do I think necessarily that prices are going down? No, I, I don't necessarily buy into it because, uh, you know, obviously the Bank of England have made um, an assumption if X, Y and Z happens. And it's not even a prediction. It's just an, one outcome. Yeah. Um, and there are several hundreds, if not thousands, of other outcomes, depending on what happens at the end of October. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's a reasonable chance that, you know, what, what is no deal anyway? You know, is there some halfway house? Do they do some sort of, I don't know, cobble together agreement on WTO terms the next morning? Who knows? Um, you know, and it may be an opportunity the next month to get stuff very, very cheap because people are thinking that. So, you know, it's probably always a good time to buy, but at what level yeah. and at what yield? Um, and I think if, you know, you're focusing on long-term rental and, and holding, I know you are, you're, you're very focused on yield and income and the capital value, well, yes, we all want to know, clearly, you're, you were much better off buying that unit at 1.3 instead of 2.2, you know, wow, what a deal you did. Um, you know, but lots of people, including the ones you spoke to, would have said, don't do anything, and you'd have missed out on £1.1 million in equity. Absolutely, um, yeah. So I think it's always a good time, but at, at a price level. Um, so, yes, uh, and also it depends where you are, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, you know, for me, the, the, the cycle, the new cycle, it always starts, I think, London, maybe Mayfair, yeah? So I think this last start cycle probably started in 2010, post the last recession. Mayfair started going up. You've got Kensington, Chelsea, all those areas. And they went up gangbusters, like two and a half times, yeah. something like that. Crazy. And the North didn't do a lot. Scotland, not a lot. Uh, Peterborough got going, I don't know, maybe 2013, 14. Um, you know, we were further down on, on the roller coaster. And, and the price rises then spread up the country because clearly... 
you know, if one area has gone up and that area is cheaper, more people will move to that area yeah. until price is right, you know, get back to equilibrium. So, you know, where if there are going to be price falls, where are they going to be most um, accentuated? Well, you know, to be fair, you know, if you look at a lot of, you know, the sort of higher end areas of London, the areas that have, um, I don't know, maybe a lot of, um, you know, European uh, higher level um, type buyers um, that are maybe currency or EU, you know, dependent, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe using passporting or, or whatever, maybe they're working in a bank um, and therefore they're using the passporting rules to, to do business sort of, you know, trans-European business. Those people have, the, the numbers have, you know, reduced in terms of the numbers that are coming over and lots have gone home. So those areas... Yeah. The, the values have, have dropped. And, so do you, you think know, now, is, now is a great time to get well, into it, London? It, it may be, because if you look at those areas, they've dropped 25, 30%. Yeah. Um, if you're at the coalface looking at it, I, I can see all Str sorts I know, of examples. And lots of investors that are struggling to sell right now. Absolutely. And the stamp duty ruined it above one, one and a half million. So, you know, how further is that really going to fall? Mm. Um, and it's a relative, Mark, isn't it? Yeah. Because the way, I mean, I said earlier that if you're in the north, Properties are achieving 100% of asking, mm. but your yields are going to be so much higher because yeah. the property prices are so much lower anyway. Yeah. I mean, you could get you know a, a mid-terrace house for £45,000 in, in streets in... Sunderland. You know, yeah, one of my mentees talking about... One but they're still yeah. achieving £450 to £500 a month yeah. in rent. So the yield is still going to be very high, yeah. but we're not going to get the capital growth. And as you said earlier, you know, we buy and we hold yeah. um, and we buy for cash flow. So if we get growth, it's great. If it yeah. doesn't happen not such of a worry to us but that kind of affects the no money out strategy yeah. because if you if your capital growth isn't going to go up yeah. and unless you've put if you've already bought a house on the street that's worth the same as it is next door yeah. even if you put all of these singing and dancing on street rooms in it's not yeah. going to be worth that much more yeah. so it's going to be attractive for armchair investors that are happy to get a good yield yeah. um, but perhaps not so much for people that are yeah. looking to momentum invest yeah i mean i suppose with you know that investment that you just mentioned i don't know what type of of a property it wasn't exactly or you know specifically but um the surveyor potentially probably um did an investment valuation on it um, and therefore valued it on yield rather than on we, a comparable basis no we actually got it valued on bricks and mortar because it was okay. better for us at the yeah. plant so um we bought it without going into too much of yeah. the details but we bought it in split titles yeah because you can only do that on purchase yeah. as you know or were these, sale were they houses they were well yeah. yeah it was an old school okay so it's the whole street it's an old yeah. school converted yeah. back in the 1950s yeah into individual HMOs. Oh, okay. So it was a 28 bedroom HMO, listed conservation area. And so, so were they split into fives or? or? Uh, four. Okay. Yeah, split, split into four into houses. Can you tell me about this. One? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's the yeah. whole street. Yeah. So what we did, we yeah. went in and, and we tried to make this deal stack as a HMO. Yeah. We wouldn't have done. We'd have locked in quite a lot of money yeah. over a long period of time. Okay. So the only way that we could get our money back out yeah. on this was to decrease it from 28 flat uh, HMO rooms into 20 five 30 square meter flats. Ah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, yeah. And then of course, 30 square meter, we can go for financing. Yeah. We split the titles on each individual property yeah. when we bought it. Yeah. And we got a load of land at the back, which we split at the yeah. same time. So about 70K in on due diligence. Yeah. 
So you, you, you kept them all as freeholds, you didn't issue leases? No, nope. so yeah. it's all individual um, titles still on yeah. the properties. We haven't yeah. split the individual flats, yeah. but we can do because yeah. now we're separate. Yeah. So what we did was we turned them into 25 flats yeah. and then got them valued per block yeah. on a bricks and mortar valuation. Yeah, which and, and gave if it's us, a flat, yeah. usually a surveyor will go, right, I'm gonna do it on a comparable basis what are the studio flats in this area selling for? You got it. That's what it's worth, and multiply it, multiply it up. Absolutely. Um, so that's that's one way. Yeah. And then and the, the other yield way, side of things, where we are, isn't that good? Isn't it? Uh, it's probably about nine and a half, ten percent. So it's not that good. So if we'd have gone through that's, the yield basis, we wouldn't have got as much money back. Out. That's interesting because yeah. around here, um, it's surveyor dependent. Um, yeah. But you know, if I bought something, I converted it, and then I got it revalued um, based on yield. Um, it'd be similar, I'd probably get 9%, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's probably still just advantageous. The point I was going to make, though, was um, it's quite interesting because coming into a period like this, we're talking about house prices maybe dropping. Um, yes, flats and houses valued on a comparable basis may drop that much, but what happens in terms of commercial buildings or hybrid sort of residential that are valued on a yield or investment basis yeah you know does the yield go up do we get you know mm. in, in the good times do you get yield compression and therefore the capital value rises it's quite it'll be quite interesting it to will. watch that because yeah. i t for me the the the, the value you know the sort of the yield the, the the standard sort of yield that been they've been valuing on obviously it moves around dependent on survey has been pretty consistent right probably for the last I don't know, eight years yeah. that I've been doing that. Um, I mean, for course, us to get that kind of cash we got back out yeah. of that deal, we'd have needed six and a half, yeah. seven yield, and we're never going to get that, you know. So when people talk about Gross. commercial value, yeah, yeah, commercial valuations and, and what have you, and they get very confused with, yeah. you know, valuing yield and, and yield in terms of return on investment. And yeah. um, so um, for that deal for us, worked out really, really well, yeah. really well. But you're right, in commercial buildings, um, I've always stayed away from commercial buildings because the way we operate yeah. is that all of our deals are money back out. Yeah. They have to be, otherwise we're not interested. I, I quite like that. Really. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, it's, yeah, and yeah. it's with a commercial yeah. building, you're like, well, uh, are we, aren't we? You know? To be honest, that you've just hit the nail on the head. I mean, that, that, is, how my, that is my whole mentality. Um, if I've got to go and leave 40% in something... And yeah. how long do you leave it for? You yeah. know, we looked at the offices we operate from. Yeah. We, we don't own them, we rent them. Yeah. We were going to buy them. Yeah. And we looked at the comparable of the valuation now to what the guy paid for it eight, yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. And it was the same. Yeah. So if we're going to go in, we would have been 80 grand in. It's a, it's a bit like these. We're sitting in an office building here. We paid £90 a foot. They probably went up to about £130 a foot, something like that, by... 2013, 14, and they've gone nowhere since. Absolutely, and that's my that's case in point. Um, well, commercial so, buildings are like that. I, know, I don't want to leave 80 grand in an office when yeah. we've got the flexibility now as we grow, we can move yeah. around and, and what yeah. have you. Although we're paying quite a lot, but you get what you pay for. Yeah, just the good, I suppose the good thing about buying if you're going to be an owner-occupier, um, obviously you get your capital allowances, and then for us, this, this building we're sitting in, I think it's, Five and five thousand three hundred fifty square foot. Is that with the two? Uh, no, we've got eleven thousand square foot. With the with, two. We've got three. There are two semis there that we knocked together, and then this is a, a detached office building which we use as offices. So it's about eleven thousand square foot. Um, but this building, um, the the rent would be, and the rent we pay ourselves is is about fifty seven thousand a year, something like yeah. that. Mortgage three percent yeah. on. 
I don't know, let's let's say half a million, something like that. You, you can see it's mm -hmm. 15 grand. It's yeah. not a lot. So there's a massive difference. Yeah. Um, so that's how we're making this pay because yields yields on these are usually 10% gross. So I think if you're going to move into it and it's long-term, you're going to be there long-term, I think it can be a great thing. And it's affordability or the selling factor in the future yeah, as well. So what's the, what's the exit? How how attractive is somebody else's office to somebody else? You yeah. know, by the time you've put all of your stuff in, yeah. um, and you know, what, unless you lease it out to them and put a dilapidation clause in, yeah. Um, but that's why we don't do commercial. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's funny, you know, because I there, there must be some models, Rick. Um, this this sort of leads. There's a bit of politics here. But, um, <laughs> no politics uh, in the group, folks, right? But uh, it's important because it's it's related to, um, to to what we're doing. I you know. I have this thought in my head quite a lot in terms of robbing my portfolio. When we get to the end of this sort of current developmental cycle, you know, how much more residential do we do we want to buy? And it's it's sort of how much is enough? How much is enough? And and how much residential is enough? Yeah. Because of course, my attitude ten years ago would have been, well, it doesn't matter. Just keep going. It's never enough. But with what they've done in terms of, I don't know, clause 24, you know, getting rid of the section Do 21. you still have properties in your own name? Well, we've moved the majority out into limited companies. Yeah. So haven't got that issue. But it's, it's less about that because it's dealt with. It's more about the direction of travel in terms of the, the sort of political backdrop. Yeah. You know, they're trying to ban the section 21. They're, you know, Corbyn's there saying, oh, rent control and let's let the tenants buy and all this. And of course... You know, thankfully, there's, 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 there's a good chance he won't get into power. And thankfully, quite a lot of what he's proposing, A, probably isn't workable, and B, can he get it through the Commons and will his MPs go for it? Who knows? But it's a risk. And my attitude to all this is, you know, do I want to stop doing property? No, I want to carry on doing it until I die, if I'm really honest. I'm going to get bored if I... If I but maybe the thing to do is, is to sort of hedge... And, you know, maybe finding some sort of commercial strategy that is good where you mm. can strip the cash back. Um, Do you think there's still a place for commercial on the high street, though, Mark? You know well, what it, I mean? That's retail, isn't yeah. it? it? Well, it is, but still kind of, you know, it, talking about thinking outside of the, yeah. the, the residential aspect. Yeah. Um, I know that there are people out there that will go and source property, but only if they've got a blue chip ready to go into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that sort of thing I love. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I've done a couple like that where I've put really good, you know, tenants in, half a billion on the balance sheet. Um, they're both, one's retail, one's sort of more, I don't know, financial services. Have you put the tenants in or were they in situ yeah. in the purchase? Yeah, so one was sort of sourced by an agent uh, and then the deal put, but, but then I bought the building and brought it all together. Uh -huh. And then the other one, I found the tenant completely under my own um, steam. Um, and then I've got another one I've lined up. Again, the company's worth half a billion, a huge balance sheet. So it gives a good uplift. I know who that company is. Yeah. So the um, it clearly it gives you a good uplift, and that, that, that's a sort of retail environment. So you can, if you do that, you clearly can strip your capital back because mm. you know you, you you've created a great. But of course, I've had to buy those buildings, take a bit of a risk, and then get them in afterwards. Clearly, the Holy Grail is lining it all up before you committed. And I haven't seen many people manage to do that. Um, so I think that's one sort of road to go down. Would you want loads of retail, you know, with Amazon? And, you know, I've looked into it, it, you know. know and 
you know, I'm not... We've got, I mean, we've got garages. I mean, we've got, like, 14 garages in the yeah. city centre, you know, dead you cheap. Let them, do you? We do let them. Yeah. For virtually nothing, but yeah. I'm land banking with those. Yeah. It's in the city centre. It's going to be a development. You know, yeah. eventually we're going yeah. to probably be able to do something. And we've yeah. got pubs and we've got holiday lets and yeah. we're quite diverse with what we've got. Yeah. You know what I'm really interested in right now, yeah. as well as HMOs, yeah. is the, the holiday let market. Well, you know, service accommodations has been a huge thing, isn't it? And, and of course, it does sidestep a lot of these rules. There are probably other risks. Maybe there's a planning risk, um, you know, in the future. But the point is, all these risks are not going to crystallise together in yeah. different sort of uh, d d d d different property styles. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe commercial, um, residential with a long-term tenant or maybe serviced accommodation. Something's going to happen, but it's not going to affect them all together, and you're going to be able to... So I think it's a good idea to move across these strategies. The, the other thing that I've been thinking about doing, and of course, I don't really want to get into all the management of it, which maybe I need to find a good manager. Hey, we can help with that. Here. We've got a great software package. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you'd need to modify a bit yeah, for this. Yeah. So um, offices like this, I've, I've seen locally a, a couple of guys putting in um, desks and turning them into sort of co-work areas. Mm. So you're almost like HMOing an office. I know people that do that, yeah. and they've done it for three or four years and stopped doing it. Because of the management? Well, because it's just a constant wipe the board clean, get more people in, it's, yeah. it's a job. Um, so which is the management? It's so intensive. it does come down to that. Yeah, yeah. And then what they've done now is they've found it it's just better just to rent it out as a whole uh, yeah. to a company. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's always something out there that we can use yeah. to, to add on as a plug-in. Yeah. Mark, I, what do you think about... Lots of people out there and, and training companies yeah. will teach people to cut their teeth on buy to yeah. rather than going straight in, you know, when they actually want to go into HMO or to service the accommodation. Yeah. And people say, well, actually, no, stop. Start mm. with buy to -let, cut your teeth, yeah. and then move forward. So I've got my own opinion on that. Yeah. What do you think? I'm very much into graduating things. So, um, you know, I, I come from a place where lots of people would you know, tell, I don't know, people starting out to go and do a massive building and, you know, development and all the rest of it. And I, it's just not the route I took. And also, I've seen a lot of people get into a lot of bother. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, okay, fine. HMO is not a major, major thing. And of course, it does depend on the person. And, you know, they've got corporate experience, so they're really diligent. What are they like? But, you know, doing a, a, a single let or two, then moving into a HMO or a few. But what if whatever. they've only got a small pot of cash and they're doing single lets and they can't yeah. get that money back out? Well, so if they, can't, they haven't got much of a choice. Because I, I yeah. kind of think of it differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I went straight into, an, you know, into HMO. And what I say to people is look, you know, you've got to start with the end in mind, reverse engineer yeah. the future yeah. rather than try and, you know, forward engineer the past because yeah. it's. We need to start with that end in mind. And if you want to get to HMOs, there are companies out there that will lend to people with no experience. Yeah. There are, if you can't, you only need six months, so you can yeah. bridge finance, get yeah, experience with bridge finance, yeah. and then move on to it. Yeah. And then refinance your money back out. Because yeah. lots of people that, that talk to us, um, they will say, look, I've only got a small pot of cash. I want to yeah. get it right. I can yeah. only really use it once if it's for a buy to let, or yeah. I can refinance it yeah. if it's HMO. Yeah. So I kind of see it. A way. little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know lots of people that we kind of push down that, not push, but guide yeah. down to that strategy, then can momentum invest. Yeah. And they can recycle that Keep cash. Going. And, I, you know, I, I don't think that's, a, you know, a necessarily a bad way to go about it. I think it is dependent on... On the individual. Them. Yeah. You know, if you're talking to someone who's, I don't know, maybe they've been in a completely unrelated industry, healthcare or something like that, and 
you know, they come in and they're not particularly confident and, you know, you just, I can just see it. I just, I, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get the builder in and, and I just think the builder's going to pull your pants down and, you know what I mean? And that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Then they're going to pick the wrong area. They're going to put a tenant in that, you know, the, isn't going to pay what if All, all that. And yeah. I can just see it. If I spot someone like that, I'm like, you, you, you've got to play it safe on the early, get a single let, make your mistakes at a smaller scale, just do one, wait six months, see, see it all, you know, uh, show its face. Then you'll know how not to pay the builder up front, not, uh, you know, how much you should be paying. You Start know, to you'll build, know. build that power yeah, team, you know, build that team together. Yeah, yeah, don't make all the mistakes over, you know, on a bigger scale. Um, whereas, you know, if someone comes in and I don't know, maybe they've had a business for the last 20 years and they've been involved in this sort of, I don't know, commercial, you know, hustle and tussles that, that can happen. And, you know, they're, they're, they're investing in their local area. They know the area. Well, I think that's quite different. Yeah. So yeah. I'll yeah. usually push There's no one road. size fits all, is there? No, no. And, um, yeah, but um, yeah, I certainly know they shouldn't be buying a 20,000 square foot building. No, no, it. no. I mean, I like your analogy. You yeah. know, you can't just pass your test and get straight into a, a Ferrari. No. You know, you've got to be able to cut your teeth and, and learn yeah. how to drive then, yeah. haven't you? You know, yeah. what do you think about this word that I get a lot, and certainly a lot of people that, yeah. you know, in my community, saturation. It's this what, big, yeah, yeah, it's sat yeah saturation. I've been doing this for, how long have I been doing HMOs? Over, over 10 years. And, um, Peterborough is saturated with HMOs. I, I hear that more than, probably once every six months. Um, and then I just sort of look at them and go, all oh, right, yeah, I heard that six months ago and the year before and the year before. And the, year before. and the answer to that is it goes in peaks and troughs. So you will get times where there are lots of HMO rooms available uh, and you need to put a bit more work in to get them let. Um, a. B. The ones that are available and not let are usually the rubbish rooms that are not well dressed Maybe they don't have an ensuite. Uh, the marketing's crap. The photos are crap. Um, the manager isn't responding properly to viewing requests. Um, you know, if you fix all that, your room won't be empty um, because there's always a load of shite rooms in every town. And if you make yours one of the best, it'll be full. So Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's totally fixable. Um, I just hear it I all totally the time. agree with that. All you that. know, yeah. to, to put a slightly different look on it for yeah. people that are watching, exactly agree with what you're saying. So most of the rooms that people talk about that are saturated, yeah. they're in that middle market, yeah? So in that Magnolia, Woodchip, yeah. Brown Teak Furniture, 1980s yeah. Landlord, yeah. Rigsby type stuff yeah. that's still out there. And most of the market is still made up of that. Yeah. But if you come out of that middle area and then go to the top end, there is far less competition. Way less of, of them. And yeah. you get disproportionately more rent. With a single let, if you have a really nice single let, it might rent for seven fifty in a in a sort of locality. Whereas a rubbish one round here might be seven hundred. Yeah. So you get another fifty quid. If you do a HMO room around here, a shite one without uh, an ensuite, it's probably two eighty three hundred. If you do an absolutely superb one, it might even be the same size with an ensuite. You get five fifty. Wow, that's so, a massive difference. You know, you're almost getting yeah. double. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely worth it. You're getting paid for it. You're putting yourself at less risk because clearly you you, you know you're you're you can go right up on all the fire spec and and everything uh, rather than you know if you're in that middle or, or lower end you're getting worse tenants. You know, they're, yeah. they're probably disconnecting the bloody smoke alarms and and all that stuff that puts you at risk. You can spend less on it yeah. to bring it up to standard. 
and you're making less money. Why the hell do you want to be there? It's quite funny, isn't it? Because you mentioned that people that say, look, you know, I mean, we get voids, right? We do get voids. That's part and parcel of, you know, um, we're really, don't want to sort of tempt fate. Is this wood? Touch wood. Um, We're doing all right at the moment. Um, We've probably got four voids in the whole of our portfolio, which is all right. We, you know, we're below that 10%. But when people start posting, you know, I've been void for two months. I've got so many voids. What can I do? What can I do? What I will do is say, well, look, you know, we'll see how we can help you here. Can you post the link to your advert? And then when you look at the advert, it's just very apparent yep. why they're void, you know, because the they picture, are in that middle market, yeah. you know, yeah. the marketing's not so good. Yeah. And what we do is we try and sell the lifestyle rather than the house. Yeah. And we feel that, you know, most tenants are looking for that better lifestyle. Yeah. And it's not really just about the property. Yeah. So we talk about the surrounding area and all of the amenities that the yeah. surrounding area offers and how it can enhance their current lifestyle yeah. and why they should choose our house over everybody else's. And create a community in yeah. the house with the other people, you know, maybe maybe they do things together or you, you you get them all and you know once they feel like they've got a nice community and a nice room like they don't want to leave yeah. they want to stay and that's the idea isn't it and they're our, t- our tenants are customers aren't they of course you know we've got to look after them you have you have you have you have so are we are we starting to get some questions are we getting any questions through? let's have a look at it yeah. have a look at mine um and kieran how about you do you want to have yeah, a, a look at yours view. yeah so do you want, Kieran, do you want to start? I've got loads. Yeah. Um, oh, so yeah. folks, if you've got any stack. questions for Mark or myself, now is the time to uh, fire, fire them away. over and uh, we'll do our best to get round to them. We are running um, several live feeds here. Um, so, you know, we are going to try and dip from one to another. So, um, yeah, Kieran. Okay, so I'll get started. So Susie Edwards, uh, it's hard to find a buyer today that gives a reasonable cash flow. I'm increasing viewings and offers to make this happen and I really... Do you think a good standard buy sweat deal will only be available to a cash buyer unless you do a no money down strategy? Okay, that's a very generic question. Um, I think, you know, like anything we do, Susie, it's all about um, consistency. And the more no's you get will drive you towards the more yeses. Mm. So what we say to people that are going through this, and it's the same with HMOs, you can't find deals. So this is essentially about deal sourcing. You can't find the right deals. You can't make them work. So what I'm going to say to you is that probably you're not doing enough viewings and not offering on every single property. So if you, if you view 10 properties a week, and you offer on 10 properties a week at a price that works for your strategy, yeah. then the law of averages is that you will get some of those deals over the line. You've got to fill your pipeline up. Absolutely. So it's about bringing those leads in, keep bringing them in. It's a numbers game. And then when you're negotiating with the vendor, um, you might start maybe doing some practice negotiations, maybe in front of a camera, maybe in front of a mirror or a partner, and start to think about all of the, all of the no's that you're getting now and the reasons. And what we do is we go for the no because the no is an objection which we can work on because it means that they're not happy about something. It might mean they're confused. It might mean they don't understand, which is kind of the same thing. They're not happy with the deal, or they've got somebody else influencing them to tell them not to do it. So it's all of that, really. So my best advice would be keep filling the pipeline and offer on every property, but make sure you offer it at a price that works for you. Perfect. Second one. Um, This is from Paul. What does Brexit mean for my property investing business and how should we be reacting over the next coming months and years? I think we, we answered that one earlier on, didn't we? We went into yeah. a, a bit of detail on that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you can't control what we don't know is going to happen. No. So what I was going to say to you at the moment, was it Paul? Yes. Uh, don't do anything. 
Yeah. Sit tight. Let's see what happens on the 31st of October. <laughs> Another extension till March. It will be, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is from Laura. Should you manage your own property portfolio yourself or should I outsource to a letting agency? Well, that very much depends on how much time you've got and sort of where you are in your life. Are you working? Um, I, I'm not really one for managing properties. Um, I Certainly with single lets, there are a lot of single let managers, letting agencies in every town. Um, and I think it's a good use of time to outsource it. Um, but there are lots of pretty inferior, pretty rubbish letting agents as well. So you really you want to test, put it with three, uh, or put three different properties with three different agents and find the best one. With HMOs, it's not so easy. Um, I'd say in this town, there's really us and another true HMO sort of letting agency. Um, lots of others will say they'll do them, but they won't clean the communal areas. They haven't got the right sort of tenants going in. Um, and it can be quite difficult to find a manager for HMO. So you often end up doing those yourself just because they're not, not available. I agree. And you know what? I've got to say this. I've got a property platform that I developed called GoTenant, which is designed for HMOs and single lets. So you can leverage your time through it and actually do it yourself. You don't have to pay somebody else to do it for you. Amazing. Okay, so this one's from David. How can I minimise risk when investing in property in the current climate? So um, how can you minimise risk? Well, um, okay, what type of risk? Um, you might have sort of, I don't know, risk of uh, property dropping in value or, or capital risk. Um, I think if you bid very hard, fill your pipeline up, make loads of offers and buy very cheap, that is the best way to control the risk because you're always going to be able to get out of it uh, for the same or, or more money than you paid for it. Um, I think you, you want to manage your contractor risk. You, you need to get good recommendations from other people for good contractors. Um, don't pay money up front for goods and materials because uh, you end up getting stung, um, as I have been in the past and presently. Um, you need to make sure, uh, I think you, you want to manage your sort of finance risk, maybe more fixed rates. Um, maybe, you know, make sure that you're not all with one or two banks because clearly when things go wrong, then they try and get the money back uh, and you don't want to be exposed on that front. Um, I think tenant, you know, risk from tenants, um, mm. you need to reference them, reference the hell out of them and only put ones in, you know, have it void rather than putting a bad tenant in because they will, you know, they will ruin the place and you'll have to refurbish it and you won't get the rent. It will mm. take you months and months of court fees and all the rest of it. So I think you can reduce your risk a lot by tenant referencing effectively and thoroughly. Um, yeah, any other risks? You I think you've, you know, all of that, especially tenants, because, you know, folks, you go into this and you put your heart and soul into it. And if it's your first project, you put all your cash in it and you're working with your partner or your spouse and everything's great. And you're working towards a dream and you get to the point where you've got your property ready. And then somebody comes along and promises the earth with a big wadge of cash and you rent it to them. And they destroy, they can take that dream away yeah, overnight and it can destroy everything that you'll ever want to do again with property. So yes to all of the above that Mark said, but absolutely reference those tenants. And if you're just simply not sure, don't take them. Simple as that. Just don't take them. You don't have to. You're not obliged to. And don't be motivated by people that come to you and say, I've got three months in advance. I want to move in today. Let's do a deal. Because you've got to make sure you get the right tenants. You know what? We've got tenants, Mark, in some of our properties. They've been with us 17 years. 
and we don't hear from them at all. Nothing. 17 years, they pay every month. I think they're still there. Well, they're paying anyway. So What, what, what could be better? Um, it, you know, if you pick a really good letting agency, then they will reference tenants for you. Yeah. Um, you know, but what, what do you use to reference your tenants? Well, we do everything in-house. Yeah. So, so what, what, um, I what use, so first of all, I use GoTenant. Yeah. yeah? So, okay. I mean, I don't want this to be a massive plug yeah, yeah. For, for GoTenant, but we use GoTenant, which automatically asks the prospect about 10 pre-qualifying questions before yeah. the viewing. Yes. So we flip it, all of the due diligence yeah. we do at Have the beginning. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we start to do the due diligence before we get to the viewing. If we're happy, then we'll get to the, uh, the viewing. The viewing will go ahead. Yeah. And then what we do is GoTenant will send an automatic reference request yeah. to their current employer yeah. and their past landlord, does it yeah. all automatically. Yeah. And then we'll credit score. Now we credit score using letting ref yeah. It's nine ninety nine plus VAT, yeah. um, and that will give you an affordability. Yeah. It will give you previous address history yeah. and any defaults. Okay. Um, and Do they need to authorise that, or can you just? Yeah, so it's authorised on the application form. Yeah. So they have to tick Online. a box for GDPR yeah. to say that they agree for us to conduct all of the checks necessary yeah. in order for them to get a tenancy. Yeah. And then, folks, get onto Google and just Google your tenant because, wow, you'll be really surprised on what you find on your tenant on Google, or not, as the case may be. Name, address, current address, date of birth, area, and just hit search. And if they've got a criminal record that has been given to them since Google's been in existence, then it'll be on there, and they probably won't have declared it because you can't CRB check our tenants. It's not, it's not practical. No, but we follow it, all of when, that. And when you do, it comes back, and it's only you know, non-spent convictions and, yeah. you know, and it doesn't go very far back. No. It's just not effective. Google's awesome for that. And Facebook, yeah. you know, most Facebook um, accounts are open. They're not private. Yeah. So you can go on Facebook, search them, look see at what sorts. their photos are, you know. All, all of that, you know, takes a little bit more time. But Mark said, I'd rather have an empty room than a non-paying tenant. Yeah. We've got zero voids in our portfolio. Uh, yeah. Sorry, not uh, voids, arrears. We have got voids, we've got four voids, but we've got no arrears at all because of the systems that we put in place, you know, to counteract that. Yeah. Okay. Nathan has asked, do you have any tips on how to negotiate on a property price and close a deal? <laughs> <laughs> Loads of tips on that. It's like a whole day. Mark. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've got to in some way try and give them what they want. So clearly you want a lower price, but what I try and do is give them everything else they want. So what time frame do they want it over? Do they want you know some of the money now exchange? Do they want to delay the completion because you know maybe they don't want to move out you know until later on? Um, you know, is there some other way of of cutting the deal so that you know maybe they want to rent a property? Often I sort of I've, I've even refurbished places and, and rented cheap to tenants if they can't afford much rent in exchange for me buying their house very cheaply. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd often give them an offer. I'd be very nice about it. I'd then follow up, usually. If I think, you know, it's just too much money, I'll put it on my list. You know, I'll, I'll, I've got a, a sort of spreadsheet and I'll keep sort of going back, I don't know, maybe every, you know, month, something like that. And, and just as I can see, they're not getting any bites in the market, then I'll, I'll just keep sort of peckering away. Maybe I'll just send them a little email. Maybe I'll send them a few tips on trying to sort of sell it, whatever. Um, but I think most of it is just keeping them there in your funnel and, and, and keep following up on them. The stuff that's been for sale for six, nine, 12 months, sometimes I've got stuff after two years after originally bidding on it, they are often the best deals that I've done because I've stayed on them. 
Yes, but I mean, I can't really add much to that. At the end of the day, folks, we're all people. People buy from people, and it's about building that relationship. And if that person's got a property on the market, and if you've contacted them directly, and there's no agent involved, the likelihood is that you're not probably the only person they're going to be dealing with. So you've got to make yourself better than everybody else. So, you know, by empowering them, by asking the right questions, by building up that rapport and that relationship is probably really, really key in that. Perfect. Uh, next question. This is from Sharon. Is the property market in the north set to outstrip London over the coming years? In, in terms of what? Yeah. In terms of price, then no, obviously not, um, clearly. In terms of uh, yield, um, well, certainly at the moment, property in the north is, as I said earlier, going for asking price, but the entry level is still very low, so your yield is still going to be really high. The yield is guaranteed to be higher and, and the income is pretty much guaranteed as long as you get, you know, buy in the right area and get the right tenant in, that's going to happen. In terms of the capital value and the price of the property, well, it's an unknown and, and it's extremely hard to predict. And I see all these predictions all the time, but they are the vast majority of the time wrong. Um, and, you know, it, you may get higher capital growth for the next few years in the north just because it's playing catch up. London's been falling, you know, or whatever. But, it, you know, if you, if you took a 20 or 30 year time horizon, then it's likely to be higher in, in the south or has been historically. Uh, and I think after Brexit, you know, the, the, you, people will start coming back in. You, you see a lot more of the foreigners. You know, currency is so weak. Sterling is extremely weak. It's the weakest it's been in, in my lifetime that I, or in my, since I've been conscious. So, you know, once a lot of this uncertainty lifts, there is all this money on the sidelines waiting to come back in. Um, clearly, sterling is very cheap. Property looks cheap for a lot of foreigners uh, around the world. Uh, and I think when the certainty, this money will come straight back in. Uh, and the first place it's going to go is London, uh, just because... You know, that's what they all know. Absolutely. The, um, the Chinese, yeah. the, I don't know, the, the, you know, people from the Middle East, um, Asia, they, they know London. They want to be in London. They've seen it on TV. They see it in the movies. Um, you talk to them about Hartlepool, uh, it's going to take a while for them to get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you, if you were around earlier and Mark and I were chatting, um, Scotland right now is outstripping everywhere. So Scotland's gone up year on year by about 8%. And there's nowhere else it's gone up that far, um, you know. So off hey, a low base. Have a look over in Scotland. Who knows? Yeah. Off a low base because it hasn't risen much in, yeah. in the preceding years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cap capital growth or capital price changes are extremely impossible to predict. Actually, accurately, as are interest rates. Yeah. As as is GDP growth. You can probably, you know, you can probably go a year out maybe. Something like that, maybe a little bit more, but any more than that, I think you're just guessing. It's opinion based, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we have a lot of questions surrounding, Bre surrounding Brexit. Um, this is from Diane. Is it smart to buy a property with the loom of Brexit? All of these people must have missed the earlier um, yeah. um, talk that, that Mark and I had. Just, just rewind. It, it's yeah. there. All the, all the Brexit <laughs> so, chips. We, we had like 20 minutes on this earlier. Yeah. Just, yeah, go back and have a little look at it. Can I take one from my group? Yeah, of course. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, then. so let's just choose one from here. Hi, folks. Uh, okay, so lots of people saying they're watching. Hi, Rick and Mark. Hello, chaps. Hello, hello, everybody. Hi, Steve. So Steve's asking, so how can we go into a crash 
due to leaving the EU when we are in control of it and are aware of it. The last crash, it was the banks which overlent who were not in control. Hmm, it's interesting. Sounds like we... a Brexiteer. A Brexiteer. Yeah. Um, are we in control of anything right now? I don't know. I mean, I think... Well, the, you know... the, la the last crash wasn't necessarily just the banks that overlent. What, what, what happened was um, the wholesale markets closed down uh, internationally. The banks couldn't therefore access capital, therefore they reduced the amount of lending that they were doing. Did they, you know, were, were the sort of huge impairments wholesale? Okay, RBS, you know, had quite a lot. I'm not sure Lloyd's did. It was more just sort of HBOS, RBS and a couple of others. Um, but what happened was it was the straw that broke the camel's back. All of these other sort of areas, industries, um, you know, within the economy um, had, had, had all gone too far. You know, there was, there was, there was excesses, there was... Um, you know, prices, capital, price rises, um, you know, the... 110% the, mortgages. All, all, this, all this other stuff was going on and that just precipitated, you know, the drop in, in asset values um, that needed to come anyway. So um, I wouldn't say it was just the banks over lending. And if we sort of transpose that onto the situation now, um, I, you, you say sort of we're, we're in control of everything, but I'm, I'm not sure, uh, maybe that's what Boris says, but I'm not sure Boris always tells the truth. Mm. Um, you know, clearly if, um, and what is a no deal, but if, let's say, WTO terms um, you know, are imposed, there are some big tariffs imposed on exports, uh, which is conceivable, I don't know, 10, 20%, maybe a little bit more on certain items, um, and exports reduce, that's going to put a shock back through into manufacturing, especially maybe into the into the service industry as well, um, which means that companies purchasing managers index is likely to go down, companies are less likely to invest, less likely to spend, maybe lay people off, uh, and that creates a shock in the economy, which push, pushes GDP down. So I don't think the government is in control of everything, unless, well, I suppose they can go and rehash Theresa May's deal, but are they, are they going to get the commons to vote for that? I don't think there's any control, is there? Um, I agree with all of that. All of it. I think it's a great answer. I don't think I can add anything to that at all. Hi, Andy. Andy's saying, um, first company to develop the digital camera in the world, Kodak. They had the golden egg and they didn't do anything with it. Yep. Thank you, Andy. Um, Someone's asking for investment. Sorry, guys, this isn't for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not here to lend you money. Uh, but good, um, good thinking outside the box. Uh, Paul, what is the best way of finding service accommodation demand apart from Airbnb? Um, what is the best way of finding service? Do you do service accommodation? Yeah, right? so booking.com, uh, you, you, know, you can start advertising, can't you? You can see the sort of level of incoming demand. Uh, you could also go and wind up some existing hosts. You could ring them up and you could find out when their uh, their accommodation is available. Uh, you'll probably piss them off a little bit. Uh, but um, if you want to build a business uh, yeah. and you want to grow your service to accommodation stock and, and know where the demand uh, really is there in that area, it's probably a cheap way to do it. Yeah, very uh, much so. Check the, out some local hotels, see what they're yeah. charging. Make sure you do it better. And like Mark said, go into booking.com, see what everybody else is charging. Charge a bit more just to see if you can test that market. That's what we do. And, and, and see how full all the others are yeah, by absolutely. ringing them up yeah. and, and checking online. Okay, one more from this group then. Um, hi, Mark. Hi, Rick. Hi, guys. How are you? 
Uh, okay, Amit. Hello, Amit. Hi, both. What asset classes are you investing in now? And how much lower are you offering to cover perceived risk of a downturn? What asset classes are you investing in now? And how much lower are you offering? So um, we kind of talked about this right at the very beginning of the live feed. Um, we were talking about commercial. We were talking about residential. For me, I'm still residential all the way. Mark is doing some bigger projects and, and some potential commercial to residential projects. Yeah, so I've, I've got um, a few sort of conversion projects on the go, retail on the ground floor, apartments, uh, you know, and, 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 and sort of residential above. Um, you know, uh, how much less am I bidding? Well, there isn't a, a sort of specific amount, um, but yeah, I, I've probably factored in a 10% drop uh, on the back end. I'm not selling units, I'm renting them, it's more long term. Am I gonna go all my money out? Well, may, maybe if they drop, no. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we tend to take the rent. Um, asset classes, would I carry on investing in that? Yeah, I think residential's great. We were talking earlier on though, how much is enough? Um, and, you know, once you've got a, a certain sort of, I don't know, rump of it, do you then diversify a bit and, and, and just sort of hedge a little bit? You know, after I've developed our, our sort of current pipeline, I suspect we may be doing more, I don't know, I may end up buying land and building commercial on it. I may end up um, buying more commercial buildings, maybe not retail, but, you know, clearly the, 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 the sort of shared warehouse you know, thing has, has, has become very hot the last few years. So that sort of puts me off a bit because mm. I like the unloved thing. So I should <laughs> be going down retail road constantly. But I do think that is, you know, there's a long term issue there with Amazon. There's a slow motion crash. So I probably wouldn't go too It's not just Amazon now, though, is it? I mean, Argos are doing same day delivery now. No, if you live within that. a certain area, they're doing like two hour delivery. Are they? Uh -huh. oh, well, that's good, I isn't it? I like I mean, the sound of that. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't incentivize you to get no. out of bed, does it? No, you know, no, no. So, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I probably do more of that. Clearly, we spoke earlier on about the, the, the co-work thing. Yeah. I think if you can create a nice environment for people to come in with the desks and yeah. work and they've got coffee and they've got meeting rooms yeah. and they've got all this other stuff, I think that model is good. I think in a busy uh, city, it, it would work really yeah. well. You've um, just got to have the right, it's a business. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have the right model. You've got to be the right marketing. You've got to attract the right people. Um, other asset classes, um, I clearly, you know, we haven't bought loads of classic cars, but Rob and I bought a, a Testarossa last year. I think they've come off a bit. I think classic cars, most of them are falling. I, I did um, uh, an interview with a classic car sort of dealer a few weeks ago, obviously. They, they would sort of quite like to say, oh, it's certain things that are going down. But but I, I think the whole lot are taking a bit of a hit. Um, watches. They're pretty pumped up at the moment. Oh, you know, we're going to be like talking watches, about watches, you know, man. And, and yeah. they, they've gone up a lot. I don't know. You I know, think I think it's going to come thing. down. It's yeah. going to come down. So if you're in the watch market, it's very different because it's lower level. Yeah, you can make good money on it, but are you going to make as much money as doing a development or um, you know renting out a property long term? You can't borrow money against it. Absolutely. So watches, yeah, okay. So if you're in the high end of the watch market at the moment. I mean, talk about Rolex. Rolex market at the moment on some watches are seeing double value secondhand. So I could go into my authorised, well, I could. Yeah. I've gone into my authorised dealer and bought a particular brand of watch. Let's say, for example, a GMT Master 2, which is called a Batman, or one of them is called a Batman. Um, I would pay £7,500 for that. 
The minute I walk out of that shop, I could sell it for £17,000 on the second-hand market. Now, that's still right. You can do that right now. You've got to obviously get onto an authorised dealer list. And if they think you're selling watches, you're not going to get on that list anyway. But whilst there is money in watches, um, over time and growth, it's not going to go way anywhere near property. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And yep. you can't borrow money against it, so therefore your return on capital is, is way lower. But it's fun, yeah. uh, and they, you know, it, it can be a good way to invest. It's fun, and you get to wear them as well, folks. You know, yeah. you know, you get to, you know, I enjoy my yeah. watches. I wear them. I haven't bought them just to baby and to put away and, and to nurture. You know, it's something Mark's going. You've got a nice Rolex on as well. So yeah, um, great if you want to just, you know, wear something nice, knowing it's going to go up in value over time. But clearly, what Rick is talking about is, you know, he's very clever about what he buys. So it's very specific, actually. What I almost all the time hear him talking about are Rolexes. They're Rolex sports watches, and he's just mentioned the Batman, uh, and there's a Pepsi, and maybe a, a GMT, maybe a, I don't know a, a Submariner anniversary, yeah. maybe a, a Rolex Daytona. That is steel. These are very specific models within the Rolex range um, that you just cannot get. You can't get at the limited um, supply. Um, if you just go and buy any Rolex, it's probably not going to go up. It's probably going to go down. Yeah. So, and, and if you buy the vast majority of other watch brands, they will go down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great advice. So, turned it into a little bit of a watch for them there. So, thank you, folks. I'm going to go back over to your group. Awesome. So, we'll take a couple more from our community. This is from Rachel. Are your properties only UK-based or further afield too? And if the latter, which countries do you think are good investments? So I, I have invested abroad, I've invested in Eastern Europe, uh, in Florida, um, various places around the world, nearly got involved in Spain. In, in every case, I regretted it. Um, I, I realized how little, with hindsight, I knew about the market. Um, could you make money in those markets? Could, you know, is pro property investment viable in those markets? Absolutely but for local people who know what they're doing, who are on the ground. Um, knowing, knowing the laws, knowing the people. The finance, all the, I mean, the legal, every time you go to another country, there's a whole different legal backdrop um, and you've got to relearn it all. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so now do I invest abroad? No. Do I like going on holiday and renting places? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a great way to do it. Uh, I don't have any of the maintenance uh, or a lot of the hassle. And you can walk away from it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, it's not just me. You know, I, I can hear... I've got your... loads of case studies of people that have invested abroad. You know, I've got some guys that invested in Jamaica. Yeah. I've got, I know, people that have invested in Spain. I've got people I know that invested, of course, in Bulgaria. Oh, Mark know. has just hit the nail on the head, folks. You know, um, <laughs> go for the path of least resistance and if you've got an appetite of losing money then yeah go and invest abroad all yeah. day long you know the the case studies that i just gave you one particular one who is a lawyer in this country she got involved in a scheme in spain which resulted in actually she didn't own the land legally and she started and instructed builders they built the property she found out she didn't own the land because she didn't understand the local legislation they instructed her to uh, take it down and they sued her eighty thousand pounds on top as well so she lost a lot a lot of money um you just wouldn't get into that situation in this no. country because it it would be too obvious yeah. that you know where whereas a, would a spanish person get into that situation in spain well okay maybe the odd one but the vast majority would would intuitively know yeah. that they need to go and see 
that solicitor or that notary or whatever, just to confirm that, yeah. you know, the thing's right and they own the land. But we don't know that as far as because it's a different system. No. I'm not saying that you can't get good deals abroad, because you can, because I do, you know, there's always a yin and a yang. There's always yeah. somebody that's done it well. But just do what you know, yeah. um, because otherwise, you know, but on the flip side, I was approached about nine months ago um, from a TV production company asking if I wanted to go to Italy to buy a house literally for a pound and and refurbish, um, and refurbish it because yeah. they're doing like a regeneration project in this village where um, they've missed the generation gap because all of the kids have gone off and moved away and then it's just uh, rendered this village derelict. So they did a, a generation project and they've invited people over to spend six months there with a camera crew and I turned it down for all of the above reasons. So even though I might get the house for free, but how much you got to spend on it? There's still like an eighty odd thousand pound spend mm. and there's still probably a load of risk involved. You know then, that you could lose all of that money. And then so. what have you got at the end? The whole reason why they're they're, they're wanting you or trying to get you to go over in there and spend that money is because what's the thing going to be worth afterwards? Yeah, yeah. And who's going to want to live there? And you know the Italian government probably need to create some bloody employment out there yeah. and you know in those areas and then people would move back that's surely the issue yep. you know in a lot of these Spanish southern Europe um, they have dissipated to the big cities there's because no there's, nothing, there's, yeah, no there's nothing there no so activity. I think you know the moral of this is stay local we have a whole load of Brexit questions, but I will bypass them so they can rewind <laughs> and go to the start. So this will be the last one from our community. What is the biggest mistake you've made when purchasing a commercial property? Biggest mistake I've made when buying a commercial property? Um, hmm. I don't do commercial per se. I can what tell you... My biggest mistake I made with commercial property is not selling it at the right price. So we were offered, um, I had a chain of pubs, I had like six pubs at one point, and we got bought out by a very large retail company. And we were offered £800,000 for one of our units. And at the time, I felt it was worth more because I was very naive. And of course, what I thought it was worth wasn't particularly reality. So they walked away and they would have bought this. They were a massive company. They bought one off us and they would have bought the second. So I said no. And then of course, market shifts, things change. We hit the, um, the housing market dip, which had a, a bounce back effect on everything. And I still own that pub and I've just put it back on the market and I will accept 400,000 pounds for it. So that's almost half a million pound less than I could have got eight years ago. That's probably one of my biggest foolish mistakes, you know. Um, sometimes you've got to think what is best, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Um, and I wouldn't have got any more than £800,000 for that property. And that's a commercial building, but that's kind of my, my big woe story. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've bought commercial buildings and I've sort of tested the market and tried to let them. But I've always known that I've really wanted to convert, convert them into residential. So it was no big deal. And then I've converted them. Uh, some of my projects have taken a long time, sort of maybe two or three years, which is not great, but I don't know, it doesn't, you know, create, I've, I've always got challenges, loads, loads of extra asbestos, getting asbestos out, you know, the bill, you know, on one of them, I think I was expecting it was going to be, I don't know, two, two fifty, and we've ended up spending, I don't know, three fifty four. you know, someone came in and completely took the purse and said it's going to be four fifty to get all the asbestos out, but that was for a a commercial building, you know, for a development. Um, assuming, you know, when we're putting stuff on the top of a commercial building, assuming that the original 
building regs, drawings from decades ago are as the building was built. In most cases, they're not because they value engineer it afterwards. So the steels they put in are uh, inferior. Um, it hasn't cost us a load of money, but you know, it's been touch and go and it's been sort of concerning to me, you know, where the piles right, all this sort of thing. You learn that afterwards. Um, I did, yeah, I did buy a, a commercial building and I thought we'd put two floors on. Reality is I've got to put a load of extra steel in you know, to do that. So we'll end up putting one extra floor in. Uh, and the planners, you know, I thought, you know, it was just what they were bothered about was the cathedral, but actually they were also bothered about this clock on the top of the town hall. So you sort of learn stuff about that. Uh, but that's more of a planning issue and the commercial issues. I, most issues with commercial centre around not being able to get a tenant in and having huge voids. And I see that quite a lot. It's all about location and what the building is in the use class. Um, you know, if you're buying it relatively central, the use class is sort of amenable and there's demand for that, then usually you'll get it tenanted. Uh, I see people buying things on the outskirts in sort of inferior tertiary locations. They can't let it and they just end up with the empty property rates uh, and, and, you know, a load of void. Uh, and that can be really, really costly. Um, so don't do that. Mm. I saw a press release a couple of days ago about... Um talk about going up two floors on a detached house under permitted development and, now. And, and commercial buildings. Yeah, but so. as usual, the press report comes out, but where's the detail? Mm -hmm. um, it, it mentions something about affordable housing only, and I thought, well, I don't really want that. But um, there are lots of housing associations that probably do want that. So... Um, I don't know, I've probably got some buildings I could do that on. But yeah, yeah, I, I was think thinking, about, right, okay, straight away, you're like, mm, yeah. two floors, yeah. got eight tenants. Yeah, <laughs> but then I think, would, what about the existing tenants? Yeah. I've got to clear, clear them all out. Yeah. And what are they going to think about all these? Hey, you know, we've got you know, some students that are going into properties at the moment, and they are, with building regs, ripping it out completely and adding another floor. Are they? Yeah, yeah. So they're going, obviously, into the roof space, but yeah. actually adding another floor. It's a great way of maximising your... Uh, your return on a small house. Is. The yeah. profit is all in the last few units yeah. um, on a development because your your sort of fixed costs are taken up in the initial, you know, the first 70% of the units or yeah. whatever. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. That's everything from our community. Oh, awesome. Okay, so if we just take perhaps one more from, from ours. We have been on like just over an hour, I think. So are we okay for one more, folks? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So, uh, all right, Armit. Hi, Armit. Armit saying, what is the best way to cover yourself of buying a property with tenants in situ? Hmm. Um, what do you mean, Armit? Well, cover yourself. So I'll give you some tips here. If you're buying tenants in situ, um, let's talk about, well, regardless of whether it's a HMO, there's some things that you need to be um, covered under certain regulations. So first of all, if you're choosing to keep the tenant, the first thing you need to do is issue a Section 48 notice to your tenants upon completion. And then 24 hours later, you automatically then become their landlord. All right. So you take over the responsibility of their current contract in whatever form it is. Um, before you do that, you need to make sure that if your tenant has any deposit, it's either paid back to the landlord and then, sorry, the landlord pays it back to the tenant and then the tenant then will transfer it to you so you can relodge it. Or if you're in the same scheme, you might be able to transfer it and then serve them with the prescribed information again. You then need to make sure that you serve them with all of the other documents that cover you under Section 21 if you need to evict them. So you need then to serve them with the gas safety certificate, the EPC, and the government how to rent handbook. Get them to sign for it, 
and then you're good to go. And of course, make sure the rent is transferred to your account and not to the previous landlords, because sometimes that happens. Well, what I'd say also is, is get a schedule of the payments that they've been making to see if they've been paying on time and to make sure there aren't any arrears, because um, that's probably going to be your best evidence as to the quality of them. Clearly, you, you could reference them as well. That would be a good idea. But payment history is probably the most important thing because uh, you don't want to be inheriting uh, a rubbish tenant. Um, lots of landlords may like to sell their property onto you with that sort of tenant in situ, but you really need to get to the bottom with bank statements uh, from the landlord of, of how the, you know, the, the sort of performance of, those, uh, of that tenant in terms of their, their, their paying their rent. Yeah, very much so. And um, make sure they're not on a protected tenancy, which is probably the first thing you should do. So I'll rewind a little bit. So if they were on a pre-housing act tenancy, uh, you probably won't be able to evict them. And then when they die, the right goes to their um, next of kin as well. So just make sure that there's not many people that are around now uh, with protected tenancies, but just take that into account. I think that's it. Awesome. So we are done. Thank you for watching, thank you, everybody. Yeah. Rick, thank you for coming thank over. Thank you, Mark. It's been absolutely awesome. No it's problem been a at all. Pleasure. Hope that's been useful to your community. And folks, uh, thank you for watching. Keep the uh, thread going. And if you've got any more questions for us, then um, tag us in below. Thank you. Have a great day. There's been Mark Homer and Rick Gannon over and out. Cheers.